Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. You do it all without breaking a sweat. Like being a boss exec to Tuesday tennis to homework. Why do the kids have so much homework? Family dinners, lunches, brunches, trips to the vet, and a weekend getaway that's anything but a getaway. And you do it all in style. Even when you have back-to-back conference calls on top of the kids' orchestra recitals, not to mention your side hustle. And that's why we created the fully reimagined Infiniti QX60. A luxury SUV as functional as it is stylish and as versatile as it is serene. With premium features like a panoramic moonroof, ample cargo space, and available massaging front seats to bring the ease of luxury to your everyday. Introducing the all-new Infiniti QX60, designed to help you take on life and all the chaos it may come with in style. Learn more at infinityusa.com. Now with extremely limited availability, contact your local retailer for inventory information. Hey, mamacita. Welcome to the Mamas con Ganas podcast. That's mamas as in, hey, mama, Y te traemos episodios para que tengas las ganas de motivarte, surgir y triunfar. Don't be a mama con drama. Let's be mamas con ganas. I'm your host, Valentina Izara. Today on the Mamas con Ganas podcast, we're talking about overcoming differences in identity, specifically with regards to the LGBTQIA community. We will be discussing how to make space in our lives, not just for tolerance, but acceptance and inclusion when it comes to sexuality, sexual orientation, gender, etc. I'm aware that this subject, along with topics such as racism and immigration, have recently been subjects of political division. But I want to make it clear that when I discuss these subjects on the podcast, I'm not taking the stance of any religion or political party. Not because I don't have political or religious views of my own, but because I believe they are topics worth discussing in general. The more we resist those very topics that cause us discomfort, the more we feed into human division. Remember, this is a self-improvement podcast, and self-improvement doesn't shy away from examining and questioning our universal and personal beliefs, our preconceived biases, our formed assumptions, and the feelings generated from our adopted opinions. I say adopted because our thoughts are always chosen. They are simply opinions and perspectives. What we consider a truth is just another point of view. In any case, what I'm interested in from a self-improvement perspective is personal growth, expansion, coping successfully with cognitive dissonance, overcoming discomfort, and intentionally choosing for ourselves beliefs that empower us and the world. So, Mamacita, as you listen to the testimonials and stories I'm sharing with you today, I invite you to open your hearts and your minds. Remember, let's be mamas con ganas. Hey, Mamacita, I'm here with Kim Ely, licensed clinical social worker who's in private practice as a psychotherapist. Welcome to the podcast, Kim. Thank you so much for having me, Val. 
So Kim has been a longtime friend of mine since. True. Yes. It's been years. I think over 10 years <laughs> that we've known each other. And she was actually the director of a beautiful play that I did back in 2014. Mm -hmm. I, I think, honestly, Kim, that play that I did with you, we can tell them a little bit about what we did together in that play. But I played a lesbian woman called Julie Johnson. She was she found out her, um, I would say, who she was during the play. And it's a very inspirational story. To this date, Kim, it's one of my favorite characters that I've ever played. Oh, that's nice to hear, Val. Yeah, it's an important play really is. Yeah. About the discovery of someone's sexual orientation. It's awesome. Yes. And you had your own theater company previously because Kim, before she became a social worker, she was an actor and a director. So yeah, that's second therapy. yeah, I, um, I still have it. It's just that the pandemic kind of has it in the dark right now, but when I stumble upon a play that I really want to do and that I feel moved to do or I write, um, then I'm going to, I'll flare it back up again. So let's keep our fingers crossed that happens too. Absolutely, absolutely. And just so that people know the mission of of your of your of what you produce, like what is the what why did you start producing certain things? So people get to know a little bit of background and why because I feel like your platform what you were doing gave a voice to like a community that doesn't really have that much of a voice in terms of performance and and yeah, you go ahead and explain a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the, so it's Kutumba Theater Project, K-U-T-U-M-B-A. Um, and what we were focusing on, and in the future we'll focus on, is um, LGBTQ plus communities. Um, more specifically, the LBT plus part of it, because I think the G gets a lot of attention in different areas. And so it's um, L is for lesbian. Gay is for gay, which some, uh, I might add, some other people besides gay males use gay as a descriptive for themselves. Um, and then we have the B, which is for bisexual people, T for trans, Q for queer. Um, I'm going to keep going. I, yes, for I need you to educate my audience because I don't right. even know some of what it means. Like I've looked it up and then I forget. Okay. Yeah. I'm going. So the I, that's intersex. Um, then there's actually, there's two Qs because Q, it can also be for questioning. So someone who isn't quite sure, they're exploring their gender identity or their sexual orientation. Um, and then um, the A, the last two A's, and then there's another A, but the last two A's are asexual and aromantic, um, more commonly known as ace or arrow. And then um, the last A is someone like you who's an ally to our community and um, looks to help our community to lift us up and to be there for us when we need advocates for us. So what is yeah. what is you mentioned one that I that I don't know. What what is intersex? Yes, what is intersex? So intersex is a person who was born with reproductive or sexual anatomy that doesn't fit with the boxes of male or female. Okay. So potentially a mix of um, uh, a sexual anatomy that isn't defined by a specific box. So then usually a doctor will assign them a gender. And I've also heard the term pansexual. What is that? Yeah, so pansexual is when someone is more interested in the person than the anatomy or whatever the sexual 
organs might be. They're more interested in the personality of, of someone. So they can fall in love basically with anyone, uh, regardless of all of that stuff. And, and what is cisgender? That's another word I've heard. Yeah, good. Good question. Um, <laughs> I have so many questions. A lot of people are like, what does cis mean? And they don't really understand. So cis just means that if you were born and assigned female, and that is the gender that you align with throughout your life, then you're cisgender. If you're assigned, let's say, female at birth, but you eventually um, transition to male, um, acknowledge that you're more, you, you know, you're a more trans masculine person, then that's a trans person. Okay. And that can happen with male or female. Yeah. Got it. Oh, Makes sense? Yes, absolutely. And there was another question of another word that I've heard, and now it just slipped my mind. If it comes back, I'll go back and ask you about that. Oh, yes. What is, what does queer mean? Queer can mean anything and everything, right? So what we did in our community, by the way, I identify as gay and also non-binary. So I'm sure we'll get into that. But um, so queer can encompass so many different parts of our community. Some people just say queer because it's easier than going into all of the explanations. Um, and it's a way of kind of reclaiming what used to be a slur, right? So queer used to be a slur. Um, and it used to be a way of speaking maybe in a derogatory way to people or about people. And so I think my community has said, no, we're going to claim that back. And so queer can mean anything within our umbrella. Some people are genderqueer, which just means that they, um, there's so many definitions of gender. Gender is very complex. So it may just be that they don't, that they feel that they don't really fit into any of the other definitions. Um, yeah, it's complicated and complex, I should say, not complicated. Yes. Maybe that's why I was confused with the word because I didn't, because I'd seen many people use it. And then I was trying to say, well, wait a minute, I thought it meant this or that. And then that's why I got confused. So it could, it could mean a broad of different things for different people. Sure. A good example would be too, is that someone who's cisgender identifies as potentially heterosexual, but then falls in love with someone who is potentially, let's say, trans, they may begin to say, well, I'm queer because I am attracted to someone who, who checks an other box, which is what most of us under the umbrella do. We check other boxes, right? Just like your audience checks an other box when it comes to being Latino, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. So we're learning here. I hope my mamacitas are learning right along with it. <laughs> right. Um, so tell us a little bit, because I know a lot about you, Kim, but nobody else that's here. Can you tell them about, about you and about your beautiful story? Because you have, I think, I admire you in many, in many ways. So tell them about, yes, give us a little bit of the Kim background. Uh, okay. Well, um, this may sound like I'm going to tell you a 14-hour story, but I'm not. Um, I was adopted as an infant and I was adopted into a family that's not, well, unfortunately not accepting, but not even that, not tolerant and not even that they're intolerant. So there, um, it was like I was an alien plopped down into a situation and I knew all along that I was gay. I knew from the very beginning that I was attracted to women, girls, obviously, um, when I was young. And so I just knew that I was different and 
if you check an other box within the family unit that I was adopted into, it was problematic. So um, I think through hiding my own sexual orientation, my discovery of my gender identity, I think that that um, was a slow and painful process at times because I knew that I wouldn't be accepted by them. And that's really hard because as a therapist, I know that everyone wants their parents to be proud of them. Everyone. And what's interesting is even people that I counsel who are in their 70s, they still think about what would make their parents proud. And that's what gets complicated for kids who are in the LGBTQ plus community is that they really want their parents to be proud of them. And they want, they don't want intolerance. They don't want even tolerance. They want acceptance or at least a yearning for an understanding about them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And you ended up writing a beautiful play about your story. I didn't know you were going to make this about me. (laughs) It is about you, honey. It is totally about you. I mean, it's (laughs) when I went to see that play, I mean, there's no way you go and see that and you don't cry because you just, you feel like, look, I get goosebumps only thinking, just thinking about it. Like it was written in such a, it had, it had comedy. Like you're like the person that you created, that persona that you created was such a beautiful I don't know. It was just, I loved it. I loved them. Tell them a little bit about what you ended up doing and creating and then you taking the production elsewhere. Yeah. So interesting. I named the play baby girl with a very, it was very intentional naming it baby girl because um, the the story is semi-autobiographical. So I take a lot of liberties and not all of it is based in fact. It's, you know, kind of fun to play with truth and then mix it up a bit. But um you know, I, I played with the reality of the character and she is adopted and she's someone who comes out through the process, um, to a family that's not so tolerant. Um, and then she goes out seeking her birth mother. And so it's a whole kind of adventure as far as her own identity and, um, discoveries around that. Um, but the reason I named it baby girl was because for 27 days, uh, personally, for real, I was only named baby girl, uh, because that's what I was assigned at birth. And, um, that's how I was known because I didn't have a home. And so then once I was placed with my adoptive family, obviously I got my name. Um, but also I thought it was interesting when I did find my birth mother, that the one question I had was like, what would you have named me? And she said she didn't have a name for me, which was really kind of sad and tragic in its own way. But it made me think like, oh, wow. So that's why when I wrote the play, I named it Baby Girl. I don't know if that really answers your question. Oh, yes. Oh, touches my heart. I have a question for you for like people that are listening and they find themselves in 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 a situation similar to yours where they're in a, you know, they're in a culture or family that's not accepting of who they are and who they want to be and they want to live their life authentically, like what advice would you give them? Yeah, that, so that's complicated, right? Because I think the most important thing that they can do is 
now it's not as complicated as it was before because there's so many resources out there. Say if someone is, and I wanted to mention this particular website to you, if someone is struggling with gender identity or gender expression or understanding gender as a whole, they can Google um, genderspectrum.org. It's a great resource for anyone if you're trying to understand someone who's trans or might be trans, if you think you might be trans. So there's so many resources on the web. You just want to make sure that you're looking at true resources and that you avoid looking at comments under um, potentially um, posts that can get really uh, full of bigoted remarks because that can be harmful to you. So the most important thing that someone can do when they're discovering their sexual orientation or their gender identity or their or really their lack of attraction to people because ace, ace, ace and arrow people exist too. Um, people who are asexual and aromantic. Um, so, and also seek support. I mean, if you can, if you can reach out to a therapist, you know, I'm very experienced. I know I have many colleagues who are very experienced in supporting and helping people. There's also organizations, a lot of nonprofits. Um, there's LGBTQ plus centers in uh, major metropolitan areas, and even some of the smaller ones are starting to have them. Um, you know, I mean, I have this memory of um, when I knew that I was gay, but I hadn't come out to anyone. And my grandmother, I was living with her part of the time I was in college, and she came home and she said something about, and not in a derogatory way, but she said something about this lesbian who is her manager now. And so I literally secretly went over to speak to her because I thought, oh, maybe she can help me to understand myself better. And so I did, and she was like, you know, you wanna look for other people who are like you, you know? And um, it, was, it was different back then. I'm, I'm obviously a different generation than the people coming up now, but I think really it's that. It's seeking out allies and people who you know, if you see a teacher and they're wearing like a rainbow wristband or they have a rainbow on their file cabinet, even in Florida, try to talk to them privately. Um, and let them know how you're feeling, confide in people that you feel like are safe. And if you have a gut instinct that someone's not going to be so safe, probably don't tell them not right now. Anyway, build up your social network first of people that are your ally. I, I, yeah, I think that's a really good, really good advice. Um, and I think the message in general that I think when there's a will, there's a way. So if you, you know, right. you're surrounded by people that are not supportive, it's so important to seek people, like you said, that are and that love yes. you for who you are, period. Yes. And if you're surrounded by people who aren't supportive, definitely seek out a therapist. If you're over 18, obviously, you can do that on your own. If you're under 18, that, that complicates things. But you could always, um, you know, see a therapist because you need to talk with someone. And, um, you know, if you're under 18 and hopefully the parent will allow that to happen. And Kim, if they want to be able to reach you, how can they get in contact with you? You have a website? I do. It's uh, Kim Ely. So it's K-I-M-E-H-L-Y.com. As simple as that. Yeah. So people can reach out to me there. And then I have a, a profile on psychology today. Yeah. Wonderful. Also, I, you know, just as a, as an end note here, 
Um, what is your wish for the like the the future in terms of the world? <laughs> oh, I know wow. that we've moved. That we've moved. Oh, I, I know this is like a big question, but I feel like you know life today is not life like it was during our grandma's age. You right. know, when I, my grandma was born, she couldn't even wear pants. Now right. us wearing pants as women is like the most normal thing. So right. we've done right. such a huge shift. And I feel like we're in a moment in time now where it's keep like we're, we're still transitioning. And it's like the one thing that's inevitable always is change. But if you yes. foresee True. the kind of change that you want, what would you what would you say that you would want? Well, I do something on the grandma note, because there is one person that was within my adoptive family who made it so that I know about unconditional love. And that was my grandmother. So when I came out to my dad, he was the first one. He said, well, don't you like to dance with boys? And I said, well, I'd like to dance with girls better. It's pretty funny. And then uh, moving on to my mom, who he said we had to tell. Um, she had a meltdown about not having grandchildren and it was really tough for her. She, she made it a lot about her. Um, but then when I told my grandmother that I was gay, she said, well, just don't get funny with me. And she elbowed me. <laughs> topic. So I guess to answer that question, I would say um, if we could all be like my grandmother, right? Like she grew up in a very conservative, religious, very Christian um, indoctrinated home and she yet she always rolled with the times my grandmother believed and she had a great sense of humor that we all need to be open-minded and open-minded to change she grew up in the deep south I asked her will you watch Mississippi burning with me and she did and she changed her mind about race like I think if we all can aspire to be like Ruth Prickler who was my grandmother if we can aspire to be like Ruth then we'll all be better off we can just live and let live as long as we're not causing harm to someone else. That's the only caveat, really. Like, let's just let live and let live. My next guest on this episode is Charles Perez, professional educator and former TV broadcast journalist. Welcome to the Mamas Con Ganas podcast, Charles. Hi, Valentina. Thank you for having me. And what you mamacitas don't know is that Charles is actually also happens to be my son's favorite teacher. <laughs> well, he's one of my favorite students. So I don't know if you should tell him that. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> don't, don't want him to think he can get away with something, right? Exactly, exactly. He's so, pretty awesome. So Charles, uh, I wanted to bring you on to get your perspective on what belonging, on identity and belonging, having to do with your story your background. So tell us a little bit about yourself and tie it into your perspective of the importance of identity and belonging. You know, um, starting with, I guess, the theme of your broadcast, which is it's directed at Latinos, right? Yes. You know, and my mom is Peruana. She was born and grew up in Lima and she came here in her early 20s. And, you know, when you talk about identity and belonging, you know, that was very relevant for her, too as a Latina woman who came to this country and started her own career. And um, I think at the time she was fighting a lot of stereotypes about women and women in business and Latina women in particular. And so she had a lot of walls to break down um, herself. So it's sort of a, believe it or not, even though the topic is different, there's certain commonalities. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's when you show up and people expect you to be a certain way or they have stereotypes about, about you that aren't accurate. 
Yes. Yes. Because of the way you look. I mean, I get it all the time. Like even when yeah. I go on castings, like that, I don't look Latina enough, you know, they have, right. but there, we look, there's so many ways that Latinas look, it's almost like you can't define it, but people have an idea sometimes of what that's supposed right. to look like. And they want to put you in a, a little box. Absolutely. You know, my mother tells a story of when she first started dating my dad, she went to a dinner party. And when she came in, the host said to her, well, you know what? Oh, I have a friend you have to meet. You're going to you have so much in common, I'm sure. And she took her over and she sat her down on a little sofa on the side with a Chinese woman who was probably a lovely woman. But what they thought was, oh, we'll put the foreigners together. Oh, wow. <laughs> and she thought, I, I don't have anything really culturally in common or less so than I would have with all the gringos and the rest of the party. You know, <laughs> it was so interesting. But people all have their own things they make up in their own head. Absolutely. You know? there, there are assumptions. They come with assumptions. Yeah. You know what? And I would say as a um, as a young gay man, I was very aware of what the stereotypes were about what it meant to be gay. And if you were a man and you were gay, that that meant certain things. It meant that you were, um, it was very confused with gender. You know, it meant that you wanted to be a woman, that you wore a dress, that you were sort of, I guess, like a drag queen, all those kind of things. And that really bothered me. So I made a point of making sure that I showed up as masculine as possible. Um, but I also think that's sort of my natural what I am. Exactly. But I was very concerned because, and then as a young man, when I started to come out with my friends, um, I remember we were all sort of trying to make sure people understood that that stereotype wasn't accurate. And I found in my friends who were more Latino or in my mom's friends that the, the stereotypes were very strong. Oh yes, uh, in very our culture. Strong. Well, first of all, I think we talk about these things a lot less. Like even yeah. when we know they exist in our family, a lot of times we tend to avoid the subject. And that's one of the reasons that I right. wanted to bring this conversation into the Mamas Con Ganas podcast, because I feel that it's so important to actually have these conversations, these hard conversations. Right. That's what brings us together at the end of the day. If we're not, if we're not able to speak something out loud and be able to sit with maybe discomfort even with a subject, then how, yeah. can we, how can we aspire for our politicians to sit together you know, with all their different- Yeah, you can't. And to come to, to an agreement, we can't. Yeah, yeah you, you can't. And um, you know, I think like when I think of myself as a, you know, even before I came out kind of as a, as a boy, I was very aware of the machismo idea of what a man has to be. And that it certainly did not include being gay at all. And as I became a, a young adult and started to get at home with that part of myself, I had a roommate who was also, he was Peruvian, Peruano. And um, he left Peru and his whole family just because he didn't want them to know that he was gay. Wow. I, well, that's and, very common. There's people who leave there, particularly in cultures where it's absolutely unaccepted. Yeah. And, um, and I thought that was really unfortunate and, and that was not an unusual story. And, you know, people want to be who they are at the end of the day. And you're at some point, at least today, you're probably going to, you know, it's, it's like somebody said to me, said to my, my mom once said, 
you know, unless you want to lose your son, you have to accept who he is. Wow. And that's very, that's a very poignant thing, I'm sure, for her to hear. And it kind of makes me sad to hear that. But at the time, if I think, you know, at that age, when I first told her I was gay, she um, she had three questions. One was, you know, do you wear a dress? Uh, and, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I don't think I'd fit very well. But um, she asked me, um, oh, am I ever going to have grandkids? Because that was very important to her. Yeah. And um, the other thing was, what will I tell my friends? Because she was very aware that, like, she thought none of her friends um, would have a gay son. And um, she didn't think they would accept it. Yes. Now, what's interesting is over time, a couple of those good friends have had sons that have actually come out. That's so, that's so, because I think it's like anything else. Like, even when it comes yes. to something that is completely different, like when something, somebody says, oh, uh, I have a certain illness, for example. All of a sudden, you mm -hmm. start realizing that you're not the only one going through that. And when you speak it out loud, right. all of a sudden, there's an array, like there's all these people that you had no idea that have gone through that illness or that have the same thing. I mean, this applies to anything in life, I think. No, you're right. And you don't know unless you talk about it. You don't know unless you talk about it. Also, yeah. it gives you a point of connection, too. And then you have... Yes. There's a there's people who, when they share the same story, that even brings you closer than you ever were with them to begin with. Yeah, it, it does, and I think that one of the, one of the big misperceptions here is that, uh, and a lot of it has to do with religion too. Um, you hear from the political world is they talk as if this is a choice. Well, you're choosing to be gay. When did you decide to be gay? And it's nothing like that. It is. I think of it like my eye color. It's a part of me, and. There's no way I can change it. I could cover it up. I could get some dark, you know, um, what are they called? Like tinted contact uh, lenses. Yeah, contact lenses. Yeah, yeah, but it's not going to change what my eye color really is underneath. And I think that is something that bit by bit as a culture we're starting to understand. But, um, but you know, a few years ago, that was, it was very hard for people to get that. They thought it was behavior. And honestly, like, if I never went on a date with a guy in my life, I would still be who I am. Tell us yeah. a little bit about your story. When did you realize? How young were you when you first thought, oh, I might be a little different? <laughs> well, I, I would say really young, but um, I'm talking even like six, seven years old in class, knowing that, um, well, you see that guy, I kind of wanted to sit next to that guy but i was also really nervous about what was next to him and by by second grade i remember telling people that this one girl lisa was my girlfriend but i remember at that age i was doing it so that even then they would think that i was something other than what i was now by middle school i was very conscious about um about the fact that i felt different and i was going to try to be straight so you, and, it was like a clear decision at that a point. Yeah, it was wow. a clear decision by like eighth and ninth grade that, okay, I'm going to try to be straight here. I'm going to focus all my energy on this and I'm going to start asking girls out or like, like you do at that point, which is you ask someone to go steady with you in school. And, you know, what it really means is, you know, you, you, you meet after school for 20 minutes and you might steal your first kiss, something like that. But I found something was happening. And that was that my buddies, my guy friends who were having that first kiss, 
it seemed that their experience of it was really different than mine. Yeah, that it was obviously touching something in them, making them more, them more excited, more interested, more. It was giving them feelings. It wasn't giving me because I remember to me like those first kisses. Yeah, they were fine, but nothing was lighting up inside of me. And that's when I realized, OK, I guess I just have to keep doing this. And I remember thinking if I can keep doing this my whole life. Until I die, then my life will be successful because I got away with nobody ever knowing. So there was a lot of shame behind that. A lot of shame, a lot of shame attached to it. And, and, you know, by the time I came out later on in life, well, I'll, I'll tell you the first time I ever had, um, I, I hope this isn't, isn't too personal for your podcast, but um, Go on. yeah, no, the first time I ever had anything uh, romantically happen with somebody of the same sex was in college in my freshman year in college. And it was a guy that lived down my dorm and um, he kissed me. And two things. First of all, when he did, the idea that a guy was kissing me was just, it sort of blew my mind. But I also felt all those things that I was probably supposed to feel during that first kiss and yeah. never felt. Yes. And I felt like, you know, the fireworks went off and this was a whole different experience. And so it touched something in me that was really so much deeper than I had experienced. And, um, and that's when I knew, okay, that was a big confirmation. But the day afterwards, I remember the, the deep, deep, deep shame. I felt guilt. Yeah. Cause I had crossed that line. And um, one of the things you, I, I think that I, I went through and I think a, a lot of other, you know, people in similar situations go through is, you know, then you begin that process over years of trying to walk, not shamefully, but just honestly. Honestly. Yeah, just honestly. Yeah. Wow. You know, and what are. was your breaking point in terms of like saying to yourself, okay, I can no longer keep this like outside image that doesn't really fit with who I am inside. Like what was the moment that you were just like, okay, this has got to change. This whole pretending to be something that I'm not. Right. Is gonna it's not, it's no longer working for me, and I'm gonna step into the courage of having to, you know, tell my family and friends and everybody. Well, I you know I uh, there's sort of two points in that. One was personally, one was professionally. The personal uh, point came when I just felt like I was living lying to my mom, my family, everybody, and finally I just you know picked up the phone and and came out. And my sister reacted very strongly. She felt that I had been lying to her for all these years, which honestly I had, but to me it was survival. And my mom, um, after I came out to her, she didn't, she didn't talk to me for a few weeks, which doesn't seem long, but when you're in that period of time, you don't know if it's two weeks, two months, two years, forever, you don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember feeling sad about that, but at the same time, I didn't regret what I had done because it felt so um, good to be honest about who I was that I remember thinking to myself, even if she doesn't ever speak to me again, I, I have no regrets because I did not want to live in a lie. I felt like something had been taken off of me. Wow, like Literally a, a weight lifted. Yes, I can yes, imagine. Yes, exactly. Well, like they say, and then I, the truth will set you free, right? <laughs> Yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's true, <laughs> you know, it's very true. And years later, I was um, in television and I worked on camera 
and I had a talk show in New York City. And they didn't know I was gay when they gave me the job. And probably after like a year, there was an article in a tabloid and it said, talk show host Charles Perez's gay secret. My bosses called me in and they opened the tabloid and they asked me straight out, is this true? And I said, yes. And they said, why didn't you tell us? Mm -hmm. If we had known, we wouldn't have gone forward with the show. And I said, that's why I didn't tell you. Of course. Yeah. For me, I was not going to let it steal my dream. Of course not. And at wow. the time, they were being very honest about that would have been a deciding factor, if not the deciding factor. Today, I don't believe that's the case. But yes. for me, um, you know, that, that was sort of a scary moment because I didn't know, do I, do we move forward from here or not? They ended up canceling the show a few months after that. And it never really made sense to me why, because mm -hmm. the ratings were strong and moving upward, but they made a choice to get out. And at the time, Ellen DeGeneres was not out yet. And when she did finally come out on her, she had a, um, an evening sitcom, situation com uh, comedy. I remember that. Advertisers did pull out. They pulled out very quickly and the show tanked. And she came back after that, but we'd had a little bit of a cultural shift by then. So it was scary. And then when I got into the, I got into the news business after that. And, it, you know, though, though my employers at the time knew, I would say it was very, something you sort of kept quiet. And eventually I, I, I was in New York, Los Angeles, and I ended up here in Miami, which I love because this is where I was from, where I grown up. And I was working at Channel 10, WPLG here. And that's when it finally just came to a head. And I had to make a choice. Either I'm going to be who I am or I'm going to put my career first. And first of all, you know, who wants to be in that position? Nobody does. And, you know, to bring it back to um, something which, which I think women can relate to, uh, like we were talking about Latina women earlier, is I think women have often dealt with in the workplace, particularly women who are on camera, with whether or not, say, it's okay to get pregnant. Oh, yes. Absolutely. And, it's like a, it was such yeah. a taboo. Singers back in the day, like the, your, your career was ruined. Like as soon as you became right. pregnant, they shunned you. They, they stopped giving you advertising for your music, all that stuff. Right. Absolutely. And, and some of the women I worked with would put off, you know, they, they wanted to start a family, but they would put it off till the very last minute they could because they knew even if it wasn't spoken, that it was sort of frowned upon. Yes. That maybe those better assignments, the better shows to anchor or be a reporter on would just sort of slip away from them. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it was really tough. And I think there were a lot of the same feelings there um, as a gay man in that environment. It was just really, really, really well-known and you felt it inside that uh, this is something you have to hide about who you are. And the sad part of that is you're actually asking people to live less than a full and complete life. I love that. Repeat that. You're asking people to live. Yeah. You're ask, actually asking people to live less than a full and complete life. And we owe that to ourselves. And honestly, in our workplaces and everywhere, we should support that because you're going to have happier people. 
Absolutely. and more complete people. And come on, at the end of the day, isn't our, um, our journey in life really to become more of who we are? Yes. Yeah. For ourselves, for our kids, for our families, for the world. Yes. It's kind of like to hide it. Absolutely. It's kind of like when you're better to yourself and part of that being better to yourself is, is being honest with yourself and living authentically when you're better for yourself and you respect yourself as you are, you're naturally more accepting and loving of others as well. Yeah. It goes together. It goes. Yeah. It's not, it's not limiting. You know, something about my mom, when she came here, my, my mom came to the United States really to be free. She felt very contained by the world she'd grown up in, in Peru, which I think is not unlike um, a lot of Latin American countries. Yes. She felt that the, the world, the society she'd grown up in was filled, was very small or small-minded, especially for women, that the only choice she had was to marry somebody from a family that her parents liked, yes. that, that came from a same, same socioeconomic class, and um, that as a woman, she'd be really limited. And she didn't want to live in limitations like that. And so she came to the United States against her parents' wishes. You know, her, uh, her mother had the priest come to the house before she left. And he, he, he brought the thing with the holy water and he like put holy water on her and everything. <laughs> you know, because it was considered really wrong what she was doing. Wow. She was choosing to be honest with herself and live, live the full potential of her life. And she also didn't like that the circle of, of people that she knew there, you know, which she remains friends with to this day, but that they were so, um, in a way, also judgmental of each other. And they were so worried about each other and what everybody was thinking. And she didn't want that. And if you think about it, those are sort of the circumstances that keep all of us from being who we are. Yes. You have to be willing to be brave enough to say, you know what, I may not get the approval of my circle of friends or even of my family, but being true to myself is more important. More important. Otherwise, we're all living lies and we're acting for each other. Yep, absolutely. There's nothing like so. living authentically and, and stepping into that into that space. Otherwise, I feel yeah. like almost it's like taking a flower and just squishing it. <laughs> right, right. Right. You have to let a flower be a flower. You have to let a flower be a flower. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And and the truth is we're all flowers. We really are. Um, Later on, I would say right at the same time it was ending with the news station, I I met, who's my husband today, Keith, and, um, and we got married. And at the time, there were only four states in the United States we could get married in. Wow. So we had to do a little research. And what was so interesting was one of those states was Iowa. And I never would have thought Iowa, corn, middle of the country. I would have thought California, New York, but no, (laughs) it was Iowa. And one of the reasons is they never created the laws against same-sex marriage in the first place. So they didn't have to go and create laws in favor of them. And if you think about in this country, the idea of liberal versus conservative, you know, wherever you are on it, you know, that's fine. It's your business. But um, some of the more conservative people who had opposed same-sex marriage, when you went to Iowa, they supported it because the idea was that government should stay out of your life. Yeah, it's like a laissez-faire. Yes. And in Iowa... Um, that was sort of the attitude. And what, what's interesting, though, is a year later, we were in the process of adopting our daughter, and we adopted her in Kansas. 
Incredible. For the same reason. They had never created laws restricting us. So they were, you know, and this is in the Bible Belt too. You would have thought that the religious fervor would have kept um, us from being welcomed, but it was the exact opposite. We were welcomed with open arms. And That's at the time that. we could not. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, and at the time we could not have adopted in the state of Florida because um, it was illegal. Gay adoption was illegal. So we had to go to Kansas. Um, she was born and we had to wait a period of time until it was finalized before we could come back to Florida because we risked, especially since I've been on television, we risked having the Department of Children and Families take her away from us. And we didn't want that to happen because we, you know, and, and for anyone who's adopted a child, it's, it's just, or fostered a kid, it's an enormous obligation that you have, first of all, of all to the kid themselves, but even to the, in, in this case, the birth mother, you know, when she gave her up, you know, she's in essence saying, you know, I'm, I'm trusting you. Yeah. This child could have gone to other people too, but we we picked her, but she picked us also. It was very mutual. And we were really blessed because um, she allowed us to be in the birth. So when she was born, her name is Madeline. When she was born, the doctor lifted her up and said to the birth mother, do you want to hold her? And she said, let them hold her first. Wow. And what was so amazing about that is, and now I get emotional about it, to this day, we're able to tell her, you know, Poppy and Daddy, you know, we're the first ones to hold you from the time you were born. And it's just such a beautiful narrative for her to carry with her. You know, as she grows up, she always knows that. So that's it's pretty wonderful. And see, that's what happens when you have an open heart and you um, embrace the possible. Because there are lots of kids in our world who don't have a home. And don't have two parents to love them. And, um, you know, so I feel I feel that's that's a privilege that we have. Absolutely. I mean, like exactly like yeah. you said, there's so many kids out there. And I see it now yeah. being in the fosters in the foster system that there's so much need. And yeah. so. Well, and come on, what 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 bigger obligation do we have than to um, love, lift up and pre provide security and a foundation for the next generation? If we want happy, secure people and adults, you know, we have to do that. Mm -hmm. We have to do it. And, and, and how lucky we are that we get to do that, that we get to play a part in that. You know? Absolutely. LGBTQIA plus families have unique strengths and experience distinct challenges. At Pacific Oaks College in Pasadena, experience an education that will prepare you to support this community. The Master's in Marriage and Family Therapy LGBTQIA plus studies program will train you to work with communities from any background while providing affirmative therapy to LGBTQIA plus individuals. Pacific Oaks College, experience that impacts community. Learn more at pacificoaks.edu. Hola, mamacitas. Have you heard... Another awesome beauty brand just landed at Ulta Beauty, R.E.M. Beauty by Ariana Grande. R.E.M. Beauty makes the perfect addition to Ulta Beauty's unrivaled assortment, especially as Ulta Beauty is the exclusive retail partner for Ariana's beloved fragrances, including God is a Woman, Thank You Next, and more. Ulta Beauty will carry the full R.E.M. Beauty assortment, including the Chapter One collection, Ultraviolet, which houses the Midnight Shadow Eyeshadow Palette, At the Borderline Eyeliner Marker, On Your Collar Matte Lipstick, y mucho más. 
Ulta Beauty is thrilled to welcome REM Beauty to select store locations and Ulta.com. So head over to your Ulta Beauty store or to Ulta.com and shop REM Beauty by Ariana Grande, only at Ulta Beauty. Now, you know, right now there's a lot, I guess, debate, controversial debate with all these laws that are coming into Florida and a lot of yeah. people are very against them because they, they say that they're, they're discriminatory. Can you give us a little right. bit of what, what is your take on all these things? Like there's the do not, do not say you're gay bill. Right. Yeah. The don't say gay. Don't say yeah, gay. The, right. That the governor signed, um, you know, and then there's a backlash with Disney over that. There's a lot going on. You're right. You know, the, the I get it because the idea of the bill is um, we don't want anyone to say impose something on our children when they're very young. But the problem is it's kind of not accurate. And what I mean by that is like, I have a daughter again, Madeline, who has two dads. If she's in her classroom in kindergarten or first grade or second grade, do we want her also to be kind of shamed from having to get dads or do we want her to start to believe that her family is wrong any more than say a family or a, a child who's being raised by one mom or one dad, the whole idea that there's just kind of one kind of family and that that's the only way a family can look, you know, maybe is a bit unjust, but it's also just not accurate today. You know, my daughter had in her first grade classroom, there were one, two, three, four kids who had two moms or two dads. Now, do we act like those kids are just not there? <laughs> do we not acknowledge their families? And I think some people also sexualize it, meaning it's something it's not. It is about acknowledging families and our family units. This isn't about something other than that. It's not about making kids gay. Um, I'll tell you, I was not around any gay people and I turned out gay anyways. <laughs> no one made me straight and no one's going to make your kid gay. It's, it's, it's any more than they're going to change their eye color. Um, but I think a lack of information and fear. Fear. People fear what they don't know. That's the reality. They I think fear what they don't know. Fear what they don't know. And I think a lot of times when you're not, and I, th and I think it goes the same thing with race. I think people that, if you have friends yes. that are of all different religions, you're not going to judge another religion. If you have somebody who's right. a different race, you realize at the end of the day, when you have yeah. friends that are like multicultural and multi-everything, right. you realize that we have so many more things that unite us than things that separate us. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, and, and, and you stop seeing race then too. Yes. Yes, it just disappears. It's part of, you know, no different than the more I talk to you, the less I'm conscious of of the color of your hair or the color of your eyes. You're 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 Valentina, right? <laughs> yes. He's out of, you know, and and uh and and that's the beauty of it. We start seeing each other as people and not as categories. But um and, and today in Florida, though, I think part of it is also political. And you see this on both sides. You see it on the left and right, Republican, Democrats, when when politicians take advantage of political opportunities. And I think in this case, it has to do with galvanizing certain certain voting groups to get them to turn out for you. But the problem I have with that is it's doing it at the expense of a whole group of people who, if anything, have just been struggling for acceptance and to walk in their own light, myself included, and to not live in shame. 
And to then use that as a political proper tool is really unfortunate. Yeah, because somebody always pays a price. And Disney um, is kind of in an interesting spot in here because they did not initially stand up against this. And their own employees stood up and said, you need to say something about this or take a position on it. And they did, opposing the bill. They didn't do anything. They just took a position that they opposed this, this bill. And I'm sure they're gay and straight and, and every other kind of person that work at Disney. And also Disney is very connected to the state of Florida. And Florida's benefited a lot from Disney too. Absolutely. So the idea... Yes. From all I mean, over honestly, the world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people come from everywhere to Orlando yep. because of Disney. And so now the state is trying to punish Disney in essence. And so it's just a shame this has become so political. But I remember about 25 years ago, Disney actually um, was on the forefront of giving benefits to same-sex partners health insurance, retirement benefits. They treated you as if you were married, if you were a registered domestic partner, because you, you couldn't get married at the time. But at the same time, there was a big backlash against Disney from certain groups who decided they weren't going to watch Disney movies or TV shows. But at the end of the day, Disney's pretty powerful. And if your kid wants to watch The Lion King, they're probably going to watch The Lion King, <laughs> you know? True. So I'm not sure it was the smartest move for the state of Florida either. But we'll see how it plays out, yeah. you know. Charles, what do you say in terms of like what you would like and like your vision for the future? Maybe some do you, like do you do you have certain worries because with all of this happening and what is your dream, I guess, for the future in terms of all of this that's going on? Well, that, that's a really nice question, actually. I, um, you know, and, and here's a little tough part. You know, not everyone's going to want to hear this, but that's part of the maybe being a little uncomfortable is not a bad thing. It's how we grow. It stretches us. Yep. But the degree to which kids can learn from the time they're really young, that whatever you are, it's okay. I love you anyway, is only going to make them healthier people. It's not going to change who they are. And um, if I had heard that at a really young age, I probably wouldn't have put so much energy into trying to hide who I was, into building up inside of me these feelings that what I was was wrong, the anxiety that goes with us, with that. And I would say even a certain degree of self-hatred because if you believe what you are is wrong, it's very hard to love yourself. And you know, that's honestly, that's just wrong to do to a kid. So in my vision for the future would be, you know, that parents are very open to the possibilities of who their child is and recognize your child is not an extension of you. They are their own lives. They're their own people. And our obligation, like we said before, is to love them and give them security, not to undermine who they might be. So in that vision for the future, I, 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 would, I would see moms and dads and, and, and families um, just be open to that possibility and not shut it down. Would it have been such a horrible thing if I'd gone on a date with a boy when I was 16? No, it wouldn't have changed anything other than it may have made me feel um, love and 
Um, that feeling inside that you get with your first kiss at a time when my other friends were feeling it. Yeah. And yeah, because I'll tell you, if you, you look at a high school with whatever, 300 kids in it, and not a single one of them is out. Is that honest? Yeah. It's not. Mm-mm. It's not. So um, more and more kids are are dipping their toes into this because um, they're seeing images on television and in advertising. And to be honest with you, it's not an overwhelming amount of images. It's not like you turn on your TV and 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 you see gay, gay, gay everywhere. You may think you do because you didn't see any of it before. <laughs> That's so true. You didn't. That's so true. Yeah. Nothing. Like we never, I remember, I don't know, my, my teenage years were in the 90s. But I remember the first time I saw two girls kissing was yeah. that in that in the MTV Music Awards. Right. And, and that was a big deal, right? That was a huge deal, you know? Yeah. And then now, like, I guess because we weren't used to seeing any of that. The, the other day, my kids love Lil Nas X. And right, right, right. Performing and, but, you know, we were there with my parents. We were watching the MTV Music Awards. And it was, right. it was, it was, I think, shocking because we'd never really seen that. Like, right. you don't get to see that. And so, no, you don't. You don't. And and, and for your viewers audience. that don't know. Yes. Yeah, he, he, he kissed his, I don't know if it was a boyfriend or, but, but he kissed another guy. And it was a big deal because no one had really done that, at least in that arena. And, um, you know, but what it did is it said to more, you know, men and women who are in that industry that just be who you are. And it also sent a message to kids, which... This is the part that some people won't like, that there are gay people out there. Yeah. But there are. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's, it's you know, it, it's like if you got rid of all the gay people in another generation, you'd have a whole new slew of them. It's part of human nature. Part of human nature. And I don't think we're going to change it. You know, it, it's it's been here since the beginning of who we are. So, But um, seeing that in artists, too, I think also is just, it's kind of just like, it just becomes a part of, how do you say? It's just like another thing, like you said, it's, it's okay, you have artists that you like that are African-American, other ones that are Latino, right. it's just part of who they right. are, but it doesn't mean that yeah. you can't like their music or that you don't like it just because your exactly. sexual orientation is different. It doesn't make any sense. Right. Well, yeah. it's like, you know, Anderson Cooper at CNN, you know, he's gay, he's out, he and his husband have a kid. And I don't think um, anyone watches him now and thinks, oh, there's the gay guy. That's true. You get past that. Uh, but we didn't know we could get past that till recently. So th- that's part of the evolution of, um, of this whole topic. And pro- hopefully who we are as a society. I know there are people who want to go the other way. But here's the thing, Valentina. Once, and, and this goes for everything. This goes for politically everything. And you're from Venezuela, so you know this. Is once people have a touch, of, a taste of freedom, you can't change a direction and put them back in. Nope. You know, it's like you, you open that box and you expose people to the possibilities of who they are and you can't suppress that. Absolutely. It's real. It's real. And I mentioned this on the, on the last episode, but when you read the happiness index and the countries where people are the happiest and feel the most fulfilled, right? it's the countries where people have the right to choose how they want to live. Yes. Right. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. And, Happiness. And the thing about that is those are all also really productive countries with yeah. very high levels of literacy and education. Yeah. It says something. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 
the, the country's going in the right direction, actually. So, uh, so that's my hope for the future. So we see more of that and more honesty and more love and more embracing who we are and more embracing each other. Because you know what? We're not here for that long. So we might as well make the best of our time here. I know. It goes so fast. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's way too fast. Yeah, way too fast. Exactly. Yes. When you're a kid, you don't know that. You think it's forever, but yes. no. I yeah. have a funny story with, it, with that. Please. This week I did an audition and the role literally was middle-aged woman. And right. it gave me such a shock. I'm like, what? A middle-aged? Like, what is going yes. on? When did that happen, right? When did that happen? What do you mean a middle age? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what? We got to embrace it. We got to embrace whatever the next chapter is. And, and, is. And, yes. and here's the awesome part of it, though. I think we live at a time where, you know, being middle aged is, is pretty full of lots of possibilities. And middle age lasts a long time now. It lasts a long, long time. That's right. Why. It's not. You, people don't get old the way they used to. They 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 stay young and vital for a long time, which is great. You know, if you just look at our politicians running this country, uh, regardless of the political spectrum, I mean, the fact that you have whether it's Trump or Biden or Mitch McConnell or Nancy Pelosi, none of those people are young. But look at how vital they are. Yes, it's pretty great, actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's another topic yeah. on its own, like ageism. That's another yeah. thing. Because before, yeah. I mean, yeah, in our country, like in Venezuela, you know, you were able to put an advertisement for like looking for somebody who's 35 and younger. And so they discriminate right. so much with age. And I think that's another stereotype yeah. we're trying to get rid of. Like, listen, I might yeah. be over 35, but absolutely, I have a lot in here and in here, you know? <laughs> well, because once again, it's not honest about who we are and what we're capable of. We should if you think about what we learn in our lifetimes and the experiences we gain, we should become more valuable. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and that goes across across the uh, the spectrum. That, that's why maybe the theme here is really honesty, living honestly and and in our full selves and uh, and loving ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And hey, thank you. You're amazing, Valentine. Thank you. Thank you for giving this whole topic a voice. And, and thank you for talking really to me about something that is can cause so much division and and discomfort in people because I feel like yeah. I, you nailed it when you said discomfort is what makes you grow. There's no way of growing, yeah. whether it's mentally yeah. or physically, without mm -hmm. first going through discomfort. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're becoming a better athlete, if you're learning a yeah. new skill, it takes discomfort. And sometimes we, we, you know, we repel the discomfort so much, but what, right. what in reality needs to happen is to have these conversations of discomfort right. so we can grow as a society. Right, and if our lives were just about being comfortable, it'd be kind of boring. Totally. <laughs> so on that you. note let's go be uncomfortable let's be uncomfortable i love it thank yes. you Charles. thank you my next guest on this episode is grayson kaufman grayson is 17 years old a junior in high school and identifies as non-binary she also used oh my god i'm sorry <laughs> fucked up <laughs> sorry that's so funny <laughs> oh my gosh i might <laughs> <laughs> they also identify what, no, they also use the pronoun they my goodness I already messed up Grayson this is awful <laughs> it's okay it happens all the time okay I'm you know what mamacita 
I refer to my audience as mamacita. Grayson, <laughs> if you don't mind, I'm going to leave that as is. That's fine. I feel like that already shows how ignorant people are. And I, I just, it's not that. ignorant. It's an accident. It's okay. It happens all the time. It happened to me like three times today. It's okay. It wasn't <laughs> intentional. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so funny because, you know, I, I was telling you like, we have, so we have a friend in common that introduced us. And mm-hmm. when they were speaking about you, they were, they were, you know, they were saying they and they, and then I got confused and I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> are, 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 are they introducing me to twins or is it like a group of friends? And like, it's just was, me. It's just, there you go. But it's just me. <laughs> thank you for being on the podcast, first of all. And of course, talking about this subject, I think a lot of people are uncomfortable. And of course, of making faux pas like I just did. Because we feel like we're like messing up. And particularly p- people of my generation, we're kind of, you know, I don't know. We're, we're, I think we're, let's say, innocent or completely ignorant because we didn't grow up in a generation where we had different pronouns. Yeah. Could you share with us, like, your experience, like, you know, how you were raised and what you identified and a little bit of how you got to the point where you just felt that there was a disconnect there and then how you eventually got to identify as non-binary. And, 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 and explain to us, you know, because most people, I think, don't even know what non-binary is. Explain right. actually what that means as well. So tell us your story. All right. Well, I'll start by just explaining a little bit of what non-binary is. So... Typically, there are two sexes, technically three, but we're going to stick with the main two, which is male and female. And that is the sex you're born as, like your chromosomes, your genetic makeup, what what puberty you go through, that sort of thing. But gender is completely different. Gender is your mind. So what you personally associate as, and it is the way your brain is wired and it can be wired in so many different ways that there's no true way to define how many genders there actually are. But non-binary is uh, in between male and female. So I identify as neither. I'm just somewhere in that space in between. And I came out about a year and a half ago, September, 2020. And previous to that, I identified as a bisexual woman and bisexual means you are sexually attracted to both men and women or two genders. And before I came out, I felt very uncomfortable basically all the time. I was very uneasy in social situations. And even when I was alone, I felt like there was something off. I felt very disconnected from myself. And I eventually recognized that it was because of my gender identity. And I actually figured that out through clothing. I felt very uncomfortable wearing certain things. And it's not like that for everybody, but that's just kind of what made me realize. How old were you? Like when you first felt like a little bit uncomfortable with that, how old were you? I actually don't know because there's a lot of space, especially through quarantine, where I don't remember a lot of time frames necessarily. So there's a lot of stuff that happened, but I don't know when and in what order. But I would say maybe... 15 or 16, maybe even as early as 14. But I know some people realize a lot earlier. I have a friend who realized they were non-binary when they were in middle school. And for me, it didn't happen until like my freshman, sophomore year of high school. So before that, I felt trapped almost. And other days, I barely even noticed that my gender was off or I felt different from how I think I should be feeling. And I remember this one day in particular, I was at the doctor's office and I was there with my mother and she was checking me in. 
And all I could hear the entire time was saying she and daughter and her, and that kind of made it click in my head. Like, okay, changing my pronouns would help validate what I am feeling. And a lot of people do that. People change their pronouns and they experiment with different pronouns. So what I did was change my pronouns to she, they, which is she, her pronouns and they, them pronouns. So this can get very confusing. And I had a conversation with my mom about this shortly after I changed my pronouns. And she said, okay, wait, but you use she, her, and they, them. So why can't I just choose which ones I want to use or which ones I'm used to using? Because you use both. And the thing about that is that you have to use both sets. So you switch back and forth between what pronouns you use. And this takes a lot of practice. I'm still getting used to this because it's hard to recognize when you're using one more than the other, because some people like you to use them in equal amount. It can be very confusing. And after a period of time, I realized, okay, this isn't really working for me. So I am just going to use they, them and cut she, her out completely. And with that came the decision to come out as non-binary, which I did. I wrote a really long social media post and I put it everywhere. And I said, this is who I am, take it or leave it. And ever since that's been who I am. And there have been times where I've gone back and forth between using he, him pronouns, they, them pronouns, he, him, and they, them. And this is just all part of the journey. And all of this is completely normal for non-binary people to go through. And I've gone through a lot of ups and downs with my gender, whether it's labeling it differently or what pronouns, but I'm pretty set in myself. I recognize who I am and that it is completely natural for me to exist how I want to exist and I'm very lucky like a trap and when you finally said okay it's they them did you feel like a sense of liberation is like or yeah what about the pronouns were bothering you I guess I really don't know how to word this I think it was just hearing it and associating femininity with me and I wasn't a feminine person. So having people associate that with me, it just didn't feel right. And even if I choose to present feminine, it still didn't feel right because my brain says I am androgynous and masculine and not necessarily feminine. But there are times where I exhibit more feminine traits. Like right now I have long nails on and typically something you associate with women and girls. So it really, for me, it was just how I felt internally And that's why it can be hard to express it externally because sometimes I feel like I'm invalidating myself by dressing more feminine. And that can be a struggle too, Uh, clothes and how I wear my hair if I decide to do my makeup, all these things. And it's part of a process of learning. Okay, these things are not invalidating who I am. If anything, they're validating it more because it's showing that I recognize and I'm very aware of who I am, that I am able to express myself externally and still feel confident with who I am. Did your parents have a hard time with this or were they very accepting from the get-go? My dad told me it was a phase. (laughs) He said, everyone goes through these phases in life. And I was like, okay, that may be true, but at least right now, this is who I am. And that was almost two years ago and I'm still where we are. It was hard for them when I changed my pronouns Um, because they're Gen X, you know, they're both in their fifties and this is not something that they grew up with. Like a lot of people, they really had no idea what the deal was with changing your pronouns or what it meant for me as a human being. If I wanted to transition physically, what would happen from there? But overall they were pretty 
they were pretty accepting. And I mean, there were definitely times where they struggled with it, but overall they never had an issue with me being non-binary. I think the hardest thing for them was pronouns. And what about your, what about like kids in your school and your surroundings? Did you have like pushback or you feel that, yeah, how, how was that? I'm very lucky in that, although I live in the South, I live in a very liberal area. So I never experienced any people being transphobic or homophobic, at least not intentionally. I definitely lost friends, but I don't think it was because of me coming out. I think it was because I started acting differently. I became more confident and a lot of people did not like that. Um, I was very open about my gender identity and that made people uncomfortable. So it tended to drive people away. And I have been in some very um, uncomfortable situations where I don't tell people I'm non-binary. I don't correct people if they use the wrong pronouns because of safety reasons. But no one has directly attacked me. Some people mostly guys who are in middle school who followed me on Instagram um, would comment things on my story post, excuse my language, like this is a bunch of bullshit. But again, that's not necessarily homophobia towards me. I choose to think of that as a lack of understanding and them just being ignorant and not willing to learn and grow as human beings. And I choose to not engage with those people. Now, what would you say to kids that are going through let's say that transition period that you went through where you were a little bit confused about what you felt and what you were going through, what, what, what advice would you give them? I would say that you have all the time in the world to figure yourself out per se. Don't rush it if you're not comfortable. If you aren't safe, by no means feel any pressure to come out because safety is the number one priority. And I have a lot of people that come to me who haven't come out publicly yet. And I tell them, I say, you know who you are. And that is step one. You have recognized that this is who you are. And it's now time to start leaning into coming out publicly if that's your choice. But again, there's no rush to come out. There is no rush to jeopardize your safety. And it is going to be hard. And it is going to bring a lot of challenges and struggles. And there are going to be days that are so hard that you just want to lock yourself in the bathroom and cry. And believe me, I have had those days and they will pass and it will get better with time. And even as you grow up, you become more confident in yourself and you become more knowledgeable of the world around you and your surroundings. And it is then that you can make the decision of whether or not you choose to come out. And what about for parents that are, let's say in your parents' position, when you told them what you were choosing for yourself, what would you say to those parents? My parents bought a book on what to do when your kid comes out as transgender. And I think that that was a great step. It shows that although the book was a terrible book, I think that their willingness to learn was great. And I think that for parents of transgender and non-binary kids, just educating yourself is step one. Asking your kid questions is so important because my parents and I have had fights over things just because they didn't ask me first. And that communication, there shouldn't be a wall put up. If your child is choosing to 
feel comfortable and safe coming to you, I think that that is great. And asking these questions and accepting them and loving them and just willingness to learn and open your heart and open your mind is, it makes all the difference. Even if you don't know a lot about the subject, just being there and being a safe space for your child while they're already going through so much is critical. That's amazing. I know you've had a lot of also support, we know, with your faith. Would you mind telling the audience like what, you know, what your, what your religious faith is and also how that has played a part in everything? So I am practicing conservative Judaism and I found a lot of security within my religion because part of Judaism is asking questions and learning constantly. And my rabbi's willingness to talk with me and ask me questions and our communication has been able to really strengthen my identity and my faith. And I've also gone to a lot of Jewish sleepaway camps all through my childhood. I went to these sleepaway camps and it was especially last year. I was put in a dorm with guys instead of girls for the first time. And I was a little nervous about this at first, but then I was overwhelmed with how incredibly accepting and supportive everybody there was. And we all just like, we held hands, we prayed together, we went to services together, we learned together, and it was a really beautiful experience. And I didn't feel as though there was any sort of disconnect. And there are some sectors of Judaism that are less accepting than others. And I think that that is very difficult. Um, You'll find that in Orthodox Judaism, they have, uh, let's call it a barrier in between the men and the women. And the men sit on one side and the women sit on the other side during um, services. And that sort of thing is where it can be tricky as a non-binary person. I know several non-binary people who have had trouble going back to their synagogues after coming out because they don't feel comfortable sitting on one side or the other because they think this is, I don't belong on either side. And I can't speak for those people because I don't practice that sector of Judaism. But overall, I have had just some incredible experiences and learning with other non-binary people who practice Judaism as well. It has been great. And I have just learned so much from them. You know, I think a lot of times we always tend to think of these stories or when we hear them in the news, a lot of times it's when the parents don't accept it or the religion doesn't accept it or when, they're, when, they're, when the kids are bullied at school for when they come out as, you know, with their identity. I think it's really beautiful to showcase an example of someone like yourself who has the support, not only of her parents, ultimately, you they. know, and also of her You faith. said her again. I did, you see? Two times. <laughs> they, oh my gosh, this is hard. This is so hard. Okay, let me try this again. Let me try this again. So, how there. Her? Wait, where did I say her? Can her you- parents, her community. Oh, okay. Uh, so I would say their parents. They. Their, yeah. okay, thank you for correcting you, me. You got it. Okay, so, yeah, to showcase a story you know, of someone who has had the support of their parents and the support of their community and their religion and their friends at school as well. Because I think the smile that I see on your face and the security and confidence, you know, this comes from, I think, like acceptance and your loving environment. I can absolutely tell that that's the type of environment that you come from. 
And that is literally what I just wish for everybody in the world, that they were also able to, that they are also able to find themselves in whichever way that, you know, that they need to find themselves, live authentically and not live in fear, like you just mentioned, because some people do live in fear. Yeah. And it is, it is heartbreaking to see what some of my friends have to experience. I have um, a few very close friends who live in very conservative areas and they don't feel safe within their religion. They don't feel safe at school. A lot of them have not come out at school or won't come out for a very long time just because of their location geographically. And I think that that is hard and that some environments just are naturally more accepting than others, but it takes work to get to that point as well. It's not easy to be non-binary. Even now, I grew up, I grew up in an accepting area. I have a lot of uh, relatives who identify as LGBTQ+, but it's still very, very difficult. And I have a great support system, but it will be difficult no matter what. And it's going to be difficult for the rest of my life. For example, I still haven't legally changed my name yet. So when I turn 18, I have to go to court and I have to get my passport changed. I have to get a new license. I have to change all of these things. And those things cost money and it is stressful and it takes time and energy. And that is just a very small example of one of the ways that being non-binary and coming out will affect me in the future financially as well. And it just... Again, it really depends on where you are and where you are in your life, but um, it'll be hard. Grayson, tell us where perhaps, you know, somebody who is going through what you went through and needs some support because maybe they don't have the support system. Where can they, where, what, what are some, do you know any support lines or any places that they can go to where they can find common ground and, and, and a loving community? My favorite is the Trevor Project. They are a hotline for LGBTQ plus youth. I think they're an absolutely amazing resource. And by all means, I would reach out to them. There are definitely a lot of, um, depending on where you are, there should be local LGBTQ plus um, areas where you can visit in person. I know some places, if you are in uh, need of leaving your home, there are women's shelters that most of the time are very open to LGBTQ plus people as well. Wonderful. Any other, any, any last messages that you would like to share with my audience? Yes. So it all takes time and you will mess up, which is, it's okay. It's completely fine. Um, there have been times where I've been talking to people and you said you had this experience as well. I was talking with my doctor and they're like, are there two of you? Like, who are you talking about right now? And I was like, no, it's okay. It's just me. There will be mistakes. It can be very confusing, especially at first. But once you find the, uh, once you find your rhythm, it becomes a lot easier. And it's also important to remember that just because someone may dress more masculine or more feminine, they might use different pronouns. So it's important to not discount that just because of someone's physical appearance as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming yes. on the podcast and of sharing course. your story with us. Thank you for having me. Hey, Mamacita. I hope you're enjoying this special episode. Now I want to pass the mic over to two mothers who want to share their story with you. Hi, my name is Milena. I was born in Colombia and my husband was born in Mexico. We have lived in the U.S. for 20 plus years. We have two children, a five-year-old girl and a seven-year-old boy. My son 
is a very sweet, loving, fun little boy. He likes to dance, sing, build things, jump around, and loves to color. His favorite color is pink. And we noticed early on that he favored the traditional female toys and activities. We took him to Disney when he was around four, and he met Minnie Mouse in person. And he was mesmerized by her beautiful pink shiny dress. He would wear a towel around his body and call himself a princess, and he would dance around. When that started happening, we had family and friends that would correct him and tell him that he was wearing a toga and that he was a prince, not a princess. At first, I wasn't sure how to handle this. I wanted my son to be happy, and I was scared for him to be made fun of for saying these things. I also didn't know what was the best way to respond to some of these comments. They were coming from people who are close to me and I know that love us. So my husband and I chose to go to a therapist to help us better navigate it. Since the beginning, we both were on board that our child's happiness came before anybody else's, regardless of how uncomfortable that might make them. The advice from the therapist was very good and simple. Let the kid be a kid. At this point, we cannot put our adult thoughts and prejudices until his choice of toys and likes or dislikes. If he wants to wear a dress, let him wear a dress. Give him the choice of experimenting with different toys and don't shame his choices. What I want for both my children is for them to be happy, kind, well-rounded humans. They will go through different stages of their lives, just like everyone else. They will have struggles and some of them may be very tough ones. I'm here to support them and try to teach them how to reach a peaceful and fulfilled life. So I take him to different activities, some more stereotypical female, some more male. I try to be lenient and strict when I have to be. I want them to learn and know that they should be true to themselves and choose what makes them happy. I also want them to know that they can't always have their way and it is important to follow directions. I believe this will help them achieve a well-balanced, happy, and peaceful life with a healthy self-esteem. When he was only six, my son told me one day before going to school, Mama, I have to face my fears. And he chose to wear some girly shoes. He came home that day as happy as always. This might not always be the case, but then again, it might. I was so proud of him. We have been lucky to have found support in family and friends, but we have also chosen like-minded people and kept the negativity away. I want my son to know that his dad and I love him very much. And whichever direction he decides to go with in his preferences for dressing and being in general, we will support him and have his back. They will both always have a safe space with us. Hi, my name is Jessica. I'm a school counselor and I'm the mother of two sons. My eldest son is who I'm going to be sharing this story about. Growing up, my son, as a four-year-old, he was always the child in school that would wear the fairy costume, but never the truck driver costume. He would wear the princess costume, but never anything masculine. He even wanted to bring My Little Pony book back to school. This was in pre-K. My mother-in-law, may she rest in peace, is really the one who encouraged him. When he got the book bag, my husband and I had a conversation with him and we told him, now, you know people are going to stare at you. And they're going to think that you're different. But if you're okay with that, 
then we're okay with that. And he was definitely confident. We also told him that if at any point in time he wanted to change it out for something different, that he could. So a few weeks later, he came to us and said, you know what? I have a little headache about this My Little Pony book bag. Could you get me a Minions book bag? I said, sure. So we got him the Minions book bag. Remember, he was only four years old with this. At some point, we thought all of this was a phase, you know, trying on mommy's bras, the heels, whatnot, but the signs were everywhere. He even connected with his future kindergarten teacher while he was in pre-K by commenting on her outfit every day. He would compliment her. He would talk about her fashion, what kind of makeup she was wearing, whether she matched or not, and if he thought it was fashionable. We were pleasantly surprised because everyone just absolutely adored him. Being a school counselor myself, being in the industry, I've attended a lot of workshops for professional development. I also used to be a school social worker. So being a school social worker and now a, a school counselor, I've attended a lot of different types of workshops. And one of them being, we've had a lot of LGBT organizations from the community come out and speak to us. The, one of the moments that stands out for me is there was a person who was the head of this LGBT organization. And he told us the story of how when he was a child, he was openly gay and, and told us that. And he will never forget that his parents never let him go down the pink aisle of the stores, right? They only wanted him to go down the aisles with like trucks and action figures and things like that. So that automatically hit me that I never wanted to be that parent because he was a child at the time. And this is something that greatly affected him as an adult. And he remembered it to that day. And that is something that I have always remembered. I came home and spoke to my husband about that. And I said, I never want to be that parent. I don't, I don't never want to be those parents. So that man's parents and their choices had him grow up in a way that was not genuine. And I never wanted my child to have that feeling. We never wanted our child to have that feeling. Now, was this comfortable right away? Absolutely not. There were times when my son wanted to wear girls clothing and I initially said no. Little by little, we let him pick and choose things and I realized that I could not have a fear of judgment because this is what made him happy. As he got older, we got into a conversation if he was okay being in his body because I wondered if he was possibly a transgendered child. We have gay family members and friends, so he was aware of what all of this meant. He was even aware that there was such a thing as having surgery to change one's anatomy. So in conversation one day, because we are very open with him and he's also, he kind of has an old soul, so he's very mature socially and emotionally. So in conversation, I asked him if he was okay with his boy parts and he said he was. He would just always tell me he thought it would be easier being a girl so that he could just wear whatever he wanted. To this day at 12 years old, he only shops in the girls section because he likes the way that things fit. He likes them form fitting and lots of the boys clothing are loose fitting. So every school year, I also start the school year and have conversations with every single teacher that he has. This year he started middle school we actually moved to Naples, although he lived his whole life in Miami. So it was a new community. So in Naples, it's not as diverse. And starting middle school, not only were we concerned, but so was he. So he started the school year very toned down. He kept everything very simple, black and white accessories, literally black and white accessories. 
And the more he became more social and he made some friends, he decided to express himself and wear his colors and tie-dye accessories, including his lunch bag and his book bag and all of that. He's had some bullying issues the last couple of years, including this year, but we always deal with it right away. We're very upfront with the counselors, with administration, and he knows that his parents will also stand up for him as well. And we face everything head on. So that has also helped. One of his biggest dislikes in our society is when teachers or anyone in the school want to separate boys and girls due to gender. Okay, girls over here, boys over here for various activities. He doesn't necessarily purely identify as either one. He doesn't feel fully like a boy because he doesn't relate to how boys act in their interests, but he knows he's not fully a girl either. He's expressed this to his teachers and they usually figure something out for him, which leads to larger conversations. So when this has come up in the past, we've, we've talked about it, whether he speaks up or I say something. Actually, something that happened yesterday that he told me coincidentally, his PE teacher was doing something by separating boys and girls. And he approached his PE coach and expressed to him that he wanted to do what the girls were doing. He had said, okay, boys, you get one ball, girls, you get two balls. So he waited for everyone to split up and he actually approached his PE coach and he said, well, I would like to get two balls. And he asked why. My son didn't remember exactly what the conversation was, but his response had to do with, well, I don't care what people think because I believe that the coach said, well, what about the rest of the class? Like, what are they going to say? And he said, I don't care what they have to say. This is what I want to do. And the response of the PE coach was, Son, I have a high level of respect for you. And that made him super happy. And that made us very happy. And we were, I was so happy that he was able to advocate for himself. Um, and that's something that we have kind of taught him to do. The older he gets, he's going to have to stand up for people. I mean, of course, we'll go to bat for him. But the older he gets, he's going to need to learn to defend himself as well. One of the things we're constantly talking about, again, is standing up, especially letting people know who he is up front. And I think also less bullying will take place if he's that open and honest. Don't get me wrong. He's going to have moments and he's going to want to try to fit in. And that's the middle schooler in him. He's going to try to, oh yeah, everyone has a crush. Oh yeah, I have a crush too on a girl. You know, when we all know, or he's even like said to us, it's not really true, mommy, but I'm just trying to fit in. I said, okay, I understand, Right. We have very open dialogue and we're very upfront with one another. Uh, if there's issues when we're out and about and someone is staring at him, I will personally stare back at them to let them know, I see you staring at my child. And if it gets to be a little bit out of hand where like they don't stop, I will literally look at the person and say, I'm sorry, can I help you with something? You're staring at my child. Is there a problem? So that they know that I know that they're staring, right? So moving forward to like, for the future, one of my biggest hopes for the future is that people teach their children how to be inclusive and how there are differences in everyone. Obviously, we have different genders. You know, even when we have now, today I was filling out a form coincidentally online, male, female, and then like unknown or not sure. Or There's always like that third choice now, which I highly respect, but it's not all the time. Obviously, we have different races, different sexual orientations, and even different religions. You know, the same goes for handicapped children. If you see someone with a disability, knowing that there's differences in our world, and I believe that that's up to parents to educate their children. It starts at the top, 
Um, and don't stare at someone because they're different. I teach my, my own children this. I've even taught our younger son, who is like the complete opposite of his brother. He's like the athletic, super sporty, boy, 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 wrestle, football, you name it. We tell him exactly who his brother is so he understands. And if his, if his friends have questions, he knows how to answer them. He's a little bit, he's nine. He's a little bit more emotionally immature. So we kind of like break it down, but we need him to know exactly who his brother is. And he does understand because he's probably gonna have to defend him one day as well. When I asked our son about his message for the future and for our society, this is exactly what he told me. He wishes that all families and parents accept ch their children the way they are. With support, they can get through anything. And his quote that he shared was, life would be boring if we were all the same. That's why God gave us our own unique personalities. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mamas Con Ganas podcast. If you have any comments or insights you'd like to share with us regards to this episode, go to mamasconganas.com forward slash 133. Hasta la próxima. Las quiero mucho. Hey, it's Valentina. Espero te gustó este episodio de nuestro podcast. If you liked it or if any of our content has inspired you in any way, I'd be ever so grateful if you showed some amorcito by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you listen to us. Every single review will help us reach more mamacitas so they can live their life con muchas ganas. It's because of you, our listeners, that we're able to create contenido para otras Latinas. Un millón de gracias por suscribirte, escuchar y compartir nuestro podcast. Si tienen preguntas, comentarios y más, pueden visitar nuestra página web mamasconganas.com or follow us on social media at mamasconganas. You can also write me directly at info at mamasconganas.com. Hasta la próxima. Es Valentina recordándote, don't be a mama con drama. Mm -mm. Let's be mamas con ganas. Besitos. <laughs>